Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from Jesus Christ, the light of the world, who was manifested in the flesh for our salvation. Amen. Most of us have probably put away our nativity sets by now, and that's okay. There's no one right way to do it, putting it up, taking it down, when to do all this stuff. But there's this fun little tradition that many of you might know about that's supposed to teach us something. If you have your wise men, you've got to start with your wise men on the far side of the house throughout the Advent season. And then you wait until Christmas Eve or to Christmas Day to put baby Jesus in the manger. But don't put the wise men there yet. You've got to wait till Epiphany Day to put the wise men there. Now, if you follow that tradition to a T, my hat goes off to you because you are super pious in your devotional practices. But this day in the church year is more ancient than our celebration of Christmas. It goes back even further than that. This is sometimes known as Gentile Christmas. What do we look, whenever we look at a nativity scene, what do you and I see? What do we see? We see an arrangement of characters that we are very familiar with, that we are very comfortable with. We don't even think twice about it. Those wise men belong there, which is why most of us don't even wait till Epiphany to put them there. But for the original readers of Matthew's gospel, a primarily Jewish audience, they would see something very different. In chapter 2, These mysterious visitors, these so-called wise men, were guided by a star to where Jesus had been born and perhaps lived for up to maybe two years. But we don't know a whole lot about these guys, frankly. A lot of ink has been spilled in speculation about where they came from and how they were able to find out about the birth of the King of the Jews. I've got my own opinions on the subject, but none of it is critical to the point that the evangelist Matthew is making. And therefore, it's not all that important to us right now. Here's what we do know about these guys based on the text of Scripture. Whenever we think in terms of wise men, we generally think of someone like Solomon. Or even in the philosophical realm, someone like Socrates or Plato or Aristotle. When our translation of the Scripture uses this term, wise men, It's this catch-all term for any number of magicians, sorcerers, astrologists, guys whose wisdom was not exactly God-pleasing. Now, some translations of the text correctly render it magi, magi, which is more appropriate. And we see this term magi, for example, in the book of Daniel. Whenever Daniel was in Babylon, he was set over many of these wise men or these magi, which was a group of enchanters, astrologists, and so forth. The point here is that these were not wise men by the Bible standards. Perhaps the most appropriate way you and I can describe these guys is foolish Wicked pagans blinded by their own idolatry. They were ignorant to the ways of God and His Christ. They had some basic knowledge of the kingship of Christ. Otherwise, why would they come in the first place? But they displayed very little understanding of what that meant for the world. They went into Jerusalem looking for this king because it made good sense to them that the king would be in the capital. 
And it almost caused the death of Jesus. If Herod had his way, it would have. They weren't wise to the situation until the angel came and set them straight. And that these men should come from so far away, perhaps Persia, Babylon, Arabia, that they should come from so far away while showing such ignorance shows us that this was not their own doing. This was God's leading. God was holding their hand every step of the way, guiding them with the star from their far and distant foreign land all the way to the place where Jesus was born and lived. God held their hand by miraculously hanging it over the place where Jesus was staying. He held their hand in the warning that he gave to the angel, even though these guys nearly messed everything up. And the gifts that they brought, even though much is often made of these gifts, they were simply gifts that one would give to royalty. And what these pagan Gentiles thought of Jesus, whether they confessed him as divine, is unclear in Matthew's gospel. But there they were, prostrate before the toddler Jesus, this toddler king, confessing him insofar as they knew him up to that point. I did a lot of reading on this subject, and a lot of the reading, whenever I really got into the thick of it, is I found that a lot of historical critics try to turn this account into a myth or a legend, as they do with anything that's miraculous. Here's what we can learn from that. You ready? This account is miraculous. The star is miraculous. The coming of these Gentiles all across that foreign land is miraculous. The inclusion of these Gentiles is miraculous. That's what's so radical about this account. And that's what so often gets overlooked. Here we have these foolish Gentile pagans brought into the very presence of God in the Word made flesh. Think about that. Those who were once cut off from the promises of God, these wicked, idolatrous Gentiles, those who were far from the promises of Israel, God has pulled out all stops to bring them near. To bring who near? Well, these pagan Gentiles, these worshipers of false gods, these blasphemous idolaters with their dark and wicked arts, those guys. For all intents and purposes, these guys have no business coming into the presence of God. <laughs> we look at them in the manger scene around the holidays, and we don't even bat an eye. Oh, there they are. There's Bartholomew and, I don't know, whatever the names are that we've given them. But the fact is that we, we don't understand that they do not belong there. They do not belong in God's presence, and God's promises are not theirs until and unless God makes it so. Until and unless God does something that he acts in human history to bring them into his presence. Until and unless God actually extends those promises to them, which is what he was doing with the Christ child. How far did God go to call these men unto himself? All the way to the ends of the earth. Look at the manger. Look at the Christ child. Look at the star, the angel. All God's doing to bring them to himself. 
How far has God gone to call you unto Himself? To bring you into His very presence and into communion and fellowship with Him. You might have been in church your entire life. You might have been in church, you know, and attending regularly, maybe for a couple months, maybe a couple of years. Either way, we tend to naturally assume, like we do with the wise men in the manger scenes, that we belong here by default. Coming to church, drawing near to God in His Word and sacraments, being in the very presence of the Word made flesh, no big deal, we sometimes think. Been doing it my entire life. But oh, my friends, in and of ourselves, we do not belong in God's presence. Outside of Christ, we are Gentiles, both by faith and by descent. Even if you're of Jewish descent, outside of faith in Christ, you're no better off. We are all born into this world, separated from God and His kingdom, excluded from fellowship with God, false worshipers and idolaters. That is your default setting. We cannot assume anything from God except judgment and exclusion. But what has He done instead? What has He given you instead? He has stepped down from His throne and assumed the form of a servant, the servant king that the Magi found in Bethlehem. And taking on this form, this flesh, he lived a sinless life under the law so that we who were separated from the covenant and cut off from the promises, far off and in a distant and foreign kingdom, that we would be brought into God's kingdom. How far did he go to call we who were far off? He subjected himself to the agony and the shame and the torture of the cross at the hands of the pagan Gentiles, at the behest of the Jewish folks. He bled and died so that the curtain in the temple would be torn in two so that any who are near or far off could come into God's presence through the sinless life, the atoning death, and the life-giving resurrection of Jesus. That all might be recipients of the promise. You do not belong in his presence. The Magi do not belong at the major scene. We were far off. They were far off. But this gospel is for those who are far off. And this is what he is teaching us through the epiphany. That in the appearing of Christ, we have one who is manifested as both God and man, so that he might draw near to those who are far off and call them to himself. This is what he was doing with the Magi, but it was just a preview of what was to come as Jesus went on to fulfill his ministry and to hand that ministry over to his church, who would be his witnesses in Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. And the gospel has spread to the far corners of the world. This news about the word of God made flesh in Jesus. Jesus crucified for sinners, both Jew and Gentile, so that God may have a people for himself united in his son and brought near to him and into his presence by his blood. He has sent his word forth to the ends of the earth so that you would be brought near to him and drawn into his presence and his promises and so that you would have fellowship 
in communion with Him. According to the law, you don't belong in God's presence. But God has made it so through the gospel. So if that's true of us, friends, what does that mean for our neighborhoods, in our communities? Considering God's call to the Magi through the star and God's call to us through the word, how are we to regard even the unlikeliest people to be in church? The junkie, the atheist, the sexually deviant, the Wiccan, even the football worshiper. What does epiphany mean for that person? It means that God is calling that person to himself. It means that he earnestly desires fellowship and communion with them. It means that through the word of the gospel, he wants to bring them near to worship and adore him as the God of their salvation. Don't count them out. Do not cease to pray for your neighbors, for your family, those who are far off. Do not cease to look for opportunities to bear witness to them about the gospel through words and deeds. Matthew's gospel shows us that God did not count out the pagan Gentiles, the Gentile magi. Why should we count out our pagan neighbors who want nothing to do with God? This is the mystery of the gospel that Christ came and continues to come even now to reveal to us this mystery. As St. Paul puts it in our epistle lesson, he says that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In other words, what God wants to show forth in Christ and His appearing is that God desires to call even the unlikeliest of people to Himself. People who do not belong at the manger scene. We who do not even belong in our pews, even as pious and holy as we think we are. And He even wants to call the pagan idolaters in our community. The word of the gospel the good news of the reconciliation of God and man through Jesus is for all who are far off so that all might be brought near through faith in this word. Now, verse 10 of our gospel lesson says this. It says, When the Magi saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. God was calling them to Jesus through the sign that he gave. He was calling them out of their former bondage to pagan gods and into fellowship with himself that he might be their God and they would be his people, even though they were Gentiles. And when the Magi saw that, when they saw the star, when they saw how it led them to where Jesus was, they rejoiced. They rejoiced because there is Jesus. And they worshipped Him. We too have been led by the Holy Spirit through the word of promise to where the Savior is, where we can worship Him. God has given us our own star in His word and in His sacraments 
so that we can know where to find the true King of the Jews, so that we too are brought into His covenant promises. So we, like the Magi, also rejoice. We rejoice at this revelation, this epiphany. We rejoice because we who are far, far off have been brought near. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.